Amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. First Peter five verses one through five. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, church family. Hey, it's a joy to be with you this Start talking? Ah, oh, much better. Is that, that work? Is that good? Is the lapel not working? Sounds good. The lapel's not working? All right. <laughs> I like that call and response. All right, I'm just going to stay put at the pulpit, and we'll just work that out. Sound good? All right. Hey, it is a joy to be with you. I want to just take a second and pray one more time that God would move among us. We're talking about today one of the most important uh, callings in all of life, uh, the call to shepherd God's flock. And my prayer is that all of us would grasp how beautiful and how noble is the calling to shepherd God's flock, and we will be more and more satisfied with Jesus at the, at the conclusion of this talk. So let's, let's uh, pray one more time that God will give us ears to hear what he has to say, and then we'll jump into our text. Father, I'm grateful that you are so good to us. You lead us when we don't even know where we're going. You care for us and you feed us when we don't know where to find something to eat. You really are good to us. I pray that you would unite our hearts today under the chief shepherd, Jesus, to be one flock, to show the world what the shepherd's like. So God, have your way in us. I pray you give us obedient hearts, humble hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this text is incredibly significant. I want to talk a little bit about the significance of this text before we jump into the details of it. Uh, Peter was initiated by Jesus as the leader of those who were sent out from Jesus. He was an apostle, and the word apostle means sent out. Peter was sent out by Jesus to make disciples of Jesus everywhere he went. 
And Peter had been given a specific task from Jesus, and that task was shepherd my sheep. If you go back to the book of, of John, in John 21, we have one of the most incredible and beautiful passages of the forgiveness of Jesus. Peter had denied Jesus. You could even say to his face, because Jesus saw him to his face in a sense. He denied Jesus three times in the moment of greatest trial. And Peter would have been and was incredibly depressed and weary by his failure. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead, came and found Peter doing what he used to do, which was fishing, trying to catch some fish, trying to feed himself. And Jesus, like he does often when we're hungry, decided to cook up some breakfast for Peter. And so he invited Peter to breakfast and he talked to Peter and he asked Peter some questions that I'm sure Peter would have been pretty ashamed to answer. He says basically the same question three times. He said, Peter, you know, you just, he didn't say this, but he said, you just denied me three times. So my question for you is this, do you love me? And Peter knew, knew that he had just denied his Lord in the moment of greatest weakness and trial, which was actually the moment of greatest strength and glory. And he said, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times he asked him, do you love me? And three times Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. You can't look at my track record to figure it out. But, but, but in your knowledge, you know that I love you. And Jesus said something that was absolutely ironic and totally unexpected and yet would change the course of Peter's life. He said, well, then if you love me, he said, feed my sheep, shepherd my, my sheep, feed my lambs, care for my people. Peter would have thought, I got nothing to give, Lord. I got nothing I can offer you. And yet Jesus said, I've offered you everything, and that's all you need. So feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. This is a calling that Peter never would have thought could have been his vocation. And yet Jesus, who looks at the heart of man, and even when he looks at our hearts, if you're like me, he doesn't see purity. He doesn't see complete integrity. He doesn't see the things that would be righteousness displayed. But what he says is, I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to call you to a vocation you could have never deserved. I'm going to give you more than you could ever earn for yourself. And that's true for all of us. He gives us more than we could ever earn for ourselves. And so Peter, as this first pastor, tells these pastors, he says, here's what I want you to do with your life. If you want to know how to care for exiles, those who are lost in the midst of a hostile world, here's what you do. Shepherd the flock of God. Care for my sheep. That's what I'm calling you to do. Now, it's interesting to consider the fact that as Peter's readers are trying to figure out how to live faithful to Jesus in the midst of a culture that's becoming more and more hostile to the gospel, Peter decides to begin the closing of his letter with that word. Shepherd the flock of God. 
Now, throughout the Bible, God demonstrates his care for his people. And one of the most used metaphors or pictures that God gives to describe his relationship to his people is that of a shepherd with his sheep. And I will say that if you're in exile, wandering in the midst of the world, trying to figure out what's my place, where's my home, what's my position, the one thing that's really helpful to know is that I have a shepherd who cares for me and who is taking me where he wants me to go. He cares for my soul. He knows where the green pastures are. He knows what it looks like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's not going to leave me alone. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You have nothing to want, Christian, if the chief shepherd is guiding you and guarding you and protecting you and feeding you and leading you. What the Bible wants to communicate, what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate with us in in describing us as sheep is that we are vulnerable. We are insecure. We are not very intelligent. We like to gather in groups. We're really glad that we have something cold to drink, something good to eat, and a warm place to lay down. We're pretty needy. But that's not all it communicates. It communicates when we say the Lord is my shepherd, that the Lord is Yahweh, the God of eternity and time. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the one for whom everything exists, the one who knit each of us together in our mother's womb, the one who cares for us, who makes us lie down in green pastures, who leads us beside still waters, who restores our soul, and he's the one who shepherds us. That's really good news. If you're here today and you have been trying to shepherd yourself through life, It won't work. But Jesus wants to shepherd you. Surrender to him. Let him shepherd your life. Peter's writing to Christians who've been scattered across countries by persecution and by life. They're trying to figure out how to live in the midst of discouragement and rejection and disruption and persecution. And so Peter says, pastors, shepherd God's flock. Anybody discouraged? Anybody felt rejected? Recently or in the present, anybody experiencing the disruption of life, persecution in the workplace, guess what? Jesus is enough. He's the good shepherd. Now, Peter is exhorting pastors to shepherd God's flock. And we're going to talk today about shepherding God's flock. But a lot of us in here are not pastors. So you might wonder, what does this text have to offer me? And I want to give you five reasons why you should listen to this, this, this passage, this, this sermon about pastoring, even if you're not a pastor. And most of us aren't pastors. Just five reasons why we should do it. First of all, this passage is about Jesus, and Jesus is always worth paying attention to. As we hear this passage, we're going to hear what shepherds should be like. And guess what? You don't know any pastors except for one who's just like this. None. We all strive to attain it, and by God's grace, we hopefully grow more and more. But this, this, this text ultimately is Peter's description of, of pastors. is actually a description of Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd who shepherds his people. Jesus keeps watch over our souls, not because he has to, but because he wants to. You ever thought about that? All your little small desires, all your really big problems, Jesus really wants to care for those things. He really does. He's concerned for every aspect of our life. He, didn't, he doesn't care for us because of something he can get out of us. He is just eager to love, to, to love us. He's not a domineering master. He's not a hyper, hypocritical overlord who's concerned with how much work he can crank out of us. 
He is meek and gentle with his people, and he leads by example. Everywhere he calls us to go, he has already been. He is our model for living. And submitting to pastoral leadership is really about submitting to Jesus, who has called certain men to shepherd his church. This passage points to and is all about Jesus. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. First reason you should listen to this text is because it's about Jesus. Second, if you're not a pastor, it's helpful for you to know what your pastors are called to do. It will help you know how to pray for them. It will help you to know how to support them. Your pastors need your prayers. I know you know this. But your pastors desperately need your prayers. They need your support. I am both grateful for the pastors of this church, and I'm grateful that God has called me to be a pastor of this church. So often I have experienced the tender shepherding of Jesus through the lives of the men God has called the Shepherd Christ Community Church. So often, even through their correction, I've been led back to streams of living water. So often I've been sustained by their friendship, encouraged by their example, lifted by their prayers, and fed by their teaching in public and in private. Pastors have their own burdens, but they also carry yours in ways that are much deeper than you probably know. And it's helpful to know what your pastors are called to do. So you should listen to this text. Third, one of the things Peter tells pastors in this text is to be examples to the flock. This includes being an example in the way they pastor. Listen, if you have any kind of leadership position, if you've been given an opportunity to lead, then you have an opportunity to shepherd people. If you're a parent, if you're a caretaker, if you're a manager, if you're a boss, if you're a teacher, if you're a shift manager, if you're a team lead, if you're a class officer, if you're a line leader, if you serve on an oversight committee, if you serve on a board, a leadership team, or a neighborhood Bible study team, if you manage accounts or work in customer support or serve as a liaison for traveling nurses, you have the privilege of shepherding people. And what Peter says to pastors is applicable to anyone who has a shepherding role. So you're a shepherd. And Peter's going to tell us, here's how you shepherd. Fourth, the United States, if you haven't noticed, is becoming increasingly post-Christian. For decades, we have been experiencing a decline in church membership, which correlates with a decline in trust in clergy. According to Gallup, in 2020, 47% of Americans belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. And that's a lot compared to a lot of countries around the world. But that's compared to 70% of Americans belonging to a church, synagogue, or mosque just 20 years ago, 1999. That's down 23 percentage points in 21 years. And another Gallup poll found that only 39% of Americans, when they're asked to give a, a very high, high, average, low, or very low rating to clergy in the terms of honesty and ethics, only 39% of Americans give clergy a high or very high rating. And among 18 to 34-year-olds, that number is 24%, which means that one in four millennials trust clergy. Some of you have been in church environments that were not healthy due to pastors who weren't following Jesus' example for shepherds. And Peter here makes a corrective to that problem in the church. He calls for pastors to demonstrate willing and eager, love-embodied service for the good of the people in the church. And he reminds pastors that they too are sheep. They have a chief shepherd to whom they will have to give an account. Listen, if you've been burned by the church, it is helpful to know what Jesus says pastors should be. 
And if we don't preach about what pastors should be, people are going to keep getting burned. We got to know what it means to be a pastor. Fifth and finally, God may call some of you to shepherd his people. He might put on your heart some the noble ambition to pastor the church of God. And if so, that's awesome. And if so, keep serving. If so, keep submitting to the leaders God has placed in your life. Talk with a wise mentor about what it might mean for your life. We need more pastors. We need more church planners. We need more shepherds who will care for God's people with eagerness, with faithfulness, and with integrity. Amen? So if God's calling you to be a shepherd, please listen to this text. So, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God. And he gives three reasons why we should listen to him. Why, why he can give this, this exhortation. The first thing he tells people is he says, this is in, in the first verse, says, because I'm a fellow elder with you. And the word elder just means older person, but in this context, elder carries more weight. In each household, there would have been a head, called a head of household. And, and it would have been a, a head of a household that would have been given to the title of the firstborn son of a family. This person would receive a double inheritance because their responsibility was to, to, to care for the family, to protect the family, to provide for the family, to avenge the family's name, to pay the debts of the family. Now, what's interesting is that throughout the story of God and his people, he often reverses this idea. If you think back through the Old Testament, if you've read it, if you haven't, that's all right. But there's a bunch of people like Seth and Jacob and Judah and Joseph and Moses and David who were not the older brothers who were called to care for their, for their people. But in fact, they were younger brothers. But God used them to show that he would not limit his work in the world to the power structures at work in the world. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom where the weak become strong and the shepherd becomes a king so that God, not man, gets the glory. And Peter would have known the upside-down nature of the kingdom intimately by what we talked about earlier. He was totally undeserving to be a shepherd of God's people, and yet God called him to shepherd God's flock. And Peter says, hey, listen, I'm an elder just like you. I'm called a pastor just like you. I care just like you. So listen to what I'm having to say. Second, Peter says that he's telling these pastors, he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, many of you have had to have the experience of watching someone suffer, whether it was a family member or a close friend who suffered through significant pain, injury, or a health-related issue. When you walk with someone who's in pain, it does something to you, doesn't it? It's hard to walk with somebody through pain and not be called to action. Even when you can't do anything, you just want to do something to help. And it brings home the reality of the cost. Peter had watched Jesus be disregarded by his family. Peter had watched Jesus be disrespected by the popular crowd. Peter had watched Jesus be betrayed by a close personal friend. Peter looked Jesus in the eyes as he himself was causing Jesus to suffer through his own denial. Peter had front row seats to the sufferings of Jesus, even those sufferings that came from his own hand. Peter saw the tomb Jesus was placed in. Peter saw the nail marks and the mark of the spear on Jesus' body. Peter wasn't playing when he said he would suffer. Peter knew Jesus wasn't playing. 
Not only that, after Christ ascended and Peter started preaching the gospel, he experienced the sufferings that came from following Christ. He was a first-hand witness of what it means to suffer for Christ. And now he's writing to these pastors who are suffering and walking with the suffering. And he's saying, I know what you might lose if you do what God is calling you to do. But I want you to do it anyway. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Take me seriously. But he doesn't stop there. Peter goes on to describe himself as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Yes, Peter saw and experienced the pain of self-giving love, but he also saw and experienced the power of God through Christ's self-giving love. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And Peter says, When the world looks at me, when the world looks at you, they may see a weak, wandering exile with an accent. But I am a partaker in Christ's glory. He says, don't be fooled, my friends, by finding your worth in these sufferings. Soon you will be walking in the brilliance of glory when Jesus comes in power. Are you being demeaned now? Don't worry, you will be honored in the kingdom. Are you being mistreated now? Don't worry, you will be honored in the kingdom. Are you being rejected now? Don't worry, you will be accepted in the kingdom. Are you hurting now? Don't worry, you will be healed in the kingdom. Last week, Gavin reminded us we live between the already and the not yet. Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom, but we wait for the consummation. In the meantime, what God is calling these pastors to do is to shepherd the flock of God. I want to jump into what this means. What does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? The first thing you want to know is, first thing you want to recognize, observation you want to make, is that to shepherd the flock of God first requires that we recognize that it is not our flock. It is God's flock. You, Christ Community Church, are God's flock. You are not the flock of John Mark. You are not the flock of Chauncey. You are not the flock of Jared. You are not the flock of Reed. You are God's flock. Isn't that really good news? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You are God's flock. The church belongs to God. We can spend the rest of our time unpacking the implications of that, and we will. Because the reason Peter says exercise oversight willingly as God would have you is because it's God's flock. Why does Peter say shepherd the flock eagerly, not for shameful gain? Because it's God's flock. Why does Peter say, don't domineer over those in your charge, but instead be examples to the flock? Because it's God's flock. Why does Peter say, be subject to the elders? Because it's God's flock. Why does he say, clothe yourself with humility? Because it's God's flock. The church is God's flock. Every local church is God's flock. And I want you to recognize something that's really important. If you're God's flock, that means you're royalty. Have no fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you're in God's flock, that means you reign with Jesus right now. Which is going to change the way your pastor shepherds you.
Because you don't shepherd royalty like mice. This is why it is so important to call out, to lament, and to change the church culture where sexual predators can pose as pastors. Because it's God's flock. God isn't cool with wolves camping out in the pews. God is a good shepherd who knows his sheep by name. He will avenge his sheep. This is why it is so important not to get caught up in the celebrity pastor or personality following church culture. Because it is God's flock. If you've been tying your name to a name that is not Jesus, let it go. It is not worth holding on to. We all got clay feet. Every pastor is also a sheep and needs to be shepherded. They need the care of the body. They need accountability and direction. They need wise counsel. They need the prayers of the entire body. It's God's flock. So those are two words that are really important. Of God, it's God's flock. So now let's move to the other three words, shepherd the flock, shepherd the flock of God. What does it mean to shepherd? Well, Tim Whitmer, in his book, The Shepherd Leader, gives four tasks for the shepherd. If you want to know what it means to shepherd, here's what it means. First of all, the shepherd knows the sheep. Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Everybody say, know the sheep. Second, the shepherd feeds the sheep. Psalm 23, 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Everybody say, feed the sheep. Third, the shepherd protects the sheep. Psalm 23, 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Everybody say, protect the sheep. And fourth, the shepherd leads the sheep. John 10, verse 4. The shepherd follow, the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Everybody say, lead the sheep. Know, feed, protect, lead. That's what a shepherd does. But check it out. Notice. That isn't what Peter focuses on these verse, in these verses. He's not focused on telling what a shepherd does. He does allude to it, but he's focused on how the shepherd does it. Because here's what Peter wants us to get across, is how the shepherd's shepherd matters. How shepherd's shepherd matters. Peter addresses the shepherd's motivations for shepherding and their way of shepherding, their MO. And here's what he says. The three things that he focuses on, we're going to spend most of the rest of our time on this. Here's what he says. He says, first of all, Exercise oversight, but don't do it begrudgingly. Pastors, exercise oversight, oversee the flock, but don't do it begrudgingly. Do it willingly. Second, shepherd with an eagerness to serve, not with a desire to get a lot of money or fame. That's crucial. Shepherd with an eagerness to serve, not with a desire to get money or fame. And third, lead by example, not force. Lead by example, not force. Let's unpack those. First, exercise oversight, but don't do it begrudgingly. Look with me at the middle of verse 2. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. One of the primary tasks of the shepherd is to keep watch over the flock. In fact, if a shepherd isn't keeping watch over the flock, they're not doing the work of a shepherd. It's what they do. It's like if I, if I want somebody to build me a house. And I go and I talk to them and I say, hey, do you own a hammer? And they say, no. I say, do you, you know how to get draw, drywall? And they say, no. You know where to find wood? And they say, no. I'm not going to trust them to build my house. 
if you don't see a shepherd, if you see a shepherd and they're not shepherding, they're not a shepherd. If a shepherd doesn't smell like sheep, he's not doing the work of a shepherd. A shepherd watches over the sheep. At night, when the sheep are asleep, the shepherd is awake. Wolves prowl around at night, and the shepherd needs to be able to defend the sheep. In the daytime, the sheep are awake, and they're looking for food and looking for water, and the shepherd needs to be awake and alert to lead the sheep to green pastures and still water. And if the shepherd isn't keeping watch over the flock, the sheep are in danger. And Peter says, shepherds, do not begrudge the work of a shepherd. Don't put it off. Don't get busy doing other stuff. Don't avoid the work that you're called to do. God has placed you in his flock, a sheep among sheep, in order to know his flock and feed his flock and protect his flock and lead his flock to do it with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all that you are. Do it unto God. That's what he's saying. So Peter's calling shepherds to do. It's more than a duty. It's a calling. He says, exercise oversight, but don't do it begrudgingly. Do it willingly. Don't you hate being led by people who don't want to lead you? It can be a really frustrating place to be. And Peter says, that's not what we're called to do as pastors. He says, as an elder, he says, don't do it begrudgingly. Do it willingly. Do it unto God. Do it as God has led you. And Jesus did not begrudge leading you. He came willingly, laid his life down willingly. You do it the same way as what he's calling us to do. Second, he says, shepherd with an eagerness to serve, not with a desire to get a lot of money or fame. Look at the end of verse 2. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And man, when we get this wrong, people are really, really hurt. I don't have stats on this, but I would bet that many of the people who have been burned by the church have been burned by greed, by financial mismanagement, and by self-promotion in the church. And the reality is that money and fame can have a massive pull on anyone, and pastors are not exempt from that. But when pastors are drawn by anything other than a love for God and a love for people, any gain because it becomes a cause of shame, not honor. Paul says pastors are not peddlers of God's word. People who give out God's word for personal profit, Paul says, we work with you for your joy. Now, Billy Graham wasn't a perfect man, but every year since 1948, Gallup, you can tell us what's up with Gallup this week, Gallup has released a top ten list of most admired men and women. And you can imagine who's in the top ten list of that, of that list. Just about every sitting president was usually on that list most of the time. Celebrities, politicians, popes have all made the list. But Billy Graham set a standard in that from 1948 until he died in 2018 when he passed away, he made the list 61 times. 61 out of 70 times. He was an admired man who was seen as a man with character, which might be somewhat ironic given what he did. He went around from city to city preaching the gospel of Jesus, which is something to admire. But at each of these meetings, they collect a love offering. And you would think that a man of such fame would have had some kind of a money issue. You look around today at people who are struggling, who are celebrities, often there's a money issue somewhere. But early on in Billy Graham's career, in fact, in 1948, he and some of his colleagues determined 
that they would be committed to financial integrity and to integrity and publicity, along with a commitment to sexual integrity and a commitment to the local church, so that they wouldn't succumb to the trap that money and fame can have. He set up safeguards and boundaries in his life and in his ministry so that he would never be even tempted with this desire because he knew how destructive it could be. When pastors are motivated by something other than the love of God and desire to really care for God's flock, relationships are burned or destroyed and people are really hurt. I've got friends that have been burned by pastors, man. And they, and it was a decade ago. And they what? Nothing to do with the church. Everything to do with Jesus, but nothing to do with this church because of the way pastors handle their lives in private. This is so important. Peter says, do not do this for shameful gain. Do this as an eagerness to lay down your lives for the flock. The third thing that Peter calls pastors to do is to lead by example, not for not force. Look at verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In our day and time... Much like Peter's, leadership is determined by power. Whoever has the most power has control. We can see that playing out in Afghanistan right now. Whoever has the bigger guns and the most ammunition takes the lead. And in the U.S., we don't often say the same kind of coup rise up to take power, but we do exercise power in more subtle ways. Cancel culture, peer pressure. Loud tweets from anonymous screen names. Whoever shouts the loudest or shoots the straightest takes control. But Jesus says, not so among you. In Mark 10, verse 42, he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says that in the kingdom of God, coups and criticism don't gain greatness. He says service is the way to glory. Submission is the ladder that reaches to heaven. Pastors imitate the chief shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. The work of a pastor looks like shoveling poop. The work of a pastor looks like sleepless nights. The work of a pastor looks like wounds from fighting wolves. It looks like hard conversations about sin. It looks like long counseling sessions working through generations of abuse. It looks like shredding through the deep waters of addiction. It looks like rejoicing over small steps of obedience to the word of God. It looks like long hours wrestling with God over the condition of straying sheep. The work of a pastor is following the example of Jesus in dying to yourself. That's what it looks like to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, to be an elder in the church of God. How shepherds shepherd matters. And when shepherds shepherd like Jesus shepherds us, Peter says, when the Jesus, the chief shepherd, returns, Peter says he will take that shepherd's crook and exchange it for a crown. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So you might be shoveling poop now, he says, but you're going to be eating the delights of the kingdom. 
very soon. If God calls you to shepherd his people, whether that's as a pastor shepherding the church, whether it means shepherding uh, 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 people in your workplace, whether it means shepherding the hearts of kids at a neighborhood Bible study, or it means shepherding somebody's soul over coffee at Starbucks, I want you to take that seriously. I want you to do that with all your heart. I want you to do it with eagerness. I want you to do it not because of what you're going to get out of reputation. I want you to do it because you love Jesus. I want you to do it not domineering over them. I want you to do it by being, by being an example to the flock. And when you, when you do that, what you're going to get is a, is, is, is a crown of glory, an unfading crown of glory. I love, this word, I love this word unfading. It's the word that means composed of amaranth. Now, if you're like me, you have no idea what amaranth is. But I don't know about you either right now or when you get home, maybe it'll be better. But look on your phone. Look up the word amaranth, A-M-A-R-A-N-T-H. And then look at the, then click on images when you do the Google search. And look and see what amaranth looks like. And what it is, is this bright crimson flower or golden flower that is bright in contrast even to the brilliant green stem that produces it. And what he says is, if you, if you give yourself to the work of shepherding God's people, then what's, what you're going to get in exchange for it is a crown that will never fade away. It's going to be brilliant in the midst of the rest of the brilliance. It's going to outshine whatever you might be doing now. According to one Greek lexicon, this word amaranth, conveys the idea of it never withers, it never fades, and when plucked off, it revives if moistened with water. Hence, it is a symbol of perpetuity and immortality. Shepherds who spend their lives laying down their lives for God's flock will one day, when Jesus returns, receive immortal life that they will never lay down again. The chief shepherd leads his under-shepherds to the perpetually green pastors of glory. What does it mean to shepherd God's flock? It means knowing, feeding, protecting, and leading God's people with willingness, eagerness, and a life of selfless service with an eye to the unfading inheritance of the kingdom of God. Shepherding God's flock means being shepherded by Jesus and following his example of selfless service. Now, family, when God's shepherds are doing that, don't you want to submit to them? Do you want them to care for your souls? I do. And that's what, the rest, what Peter tells the rest of the church to do. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. As we contextualize younger here, it doesn't mean necessarily younger in age, although in Peter's context, it likely did. But uh, it means anyone who is, isn't an elder or pastor in the church. Peter reiterates the exhortation he gave to everyone in chapter 2, verse 13, to servants in 2.18, to wives in 3.1. He says, take the position of Jesus and place yourself under these folks. Let them shepherd you with joy. All of this, shepherding from a place of submission or submitting to shepherds in a heart of submission, takes humility. And Peter says... In verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Shepherds, be humble. Sheep, be humble. We're talking about shepherding God's flock and being sheep in God's flock. And what Peter says, what should characterize all of this is humility. 
It takes humility to, to lay down your lives for the sheep, for an example for the sheep. It takes humility to give yourself to people instead of caring for yourself or instead of seeking after your own good. We should always we should care for ourselves, but trust God to be the main caretaker of our souls. It takes humility to be sheep who submit to human shepherds who are not going to be perfect to do this perfectly. And I want to close by, close by unpacking this, this metaphor that Peter gives us here of putting on humility. He says, put it on. Put on humility. Wear it like a garment. And I like what New Testament scholar Joel Green says when he talks about this idea of clothe yourselves. Everybody say, everybody say clothe yourselves. He doesn't say just be humble sometimes. He says, put this on. And what Joel Green says, I'm paraphrasing, he says, what you wear says something about who you are. It was the same then as it is now. If you wore the Louis Vuitton robe of the first century, you had more respect than if you wore the Walmart George robe. And what Peter says here is, here are the clothes that fit the flock of God, whether you're a shepherd or whether you're a sheep. Humility. That's what should clothe the flock of God. That's what is fitting for the flock of God. Now, growing up, I was like a lot of students. I didn't like uniforms. Anybody admit to that? Did not like uniform. I did not like uniforms. In fact, I wanted to be free to express myself as I wanted to. I didn't want to wear what the teacher told me to wear. What the teacher told me to wear. As a teacher, I found the same thing. Same thing was true. If we said that you can't have your belt hanging down on the right side of your pants, what do people want to do? Have the belt hanging down on the right side of their pants. We say wear a uniform shirt, you want to come in a t-shirt. We had folks in Santa Fe South, man, that would make their own shirts, man. People hate uniforms. They want to be free to express themselves. That's why every practice essay on a standardized test deals with this, with this subject. But uniforms have a number of benefits. One, you know what you're going to wear every day. You don't have to spend 20 minutes deciding what shirt you're going to put on. Two, it closes the social gaps that exist in schools. Rich kids wear the uniform and poor kids wear the uniform. It's one way to outwardly close the economic disparity in a school. But three, and this is the most important, is that it shows unity. When someone from a rival school comes into the building, they know they are not at home. If you go to Westmore and somebody from Moore comes in the building and they see everybody wearing their, their other shirts, they know they are not supposed to be at home right here. But also, if I'm out in public, people know who I belong to. In hood speak, you could say, I'm flagging my set when I wear my uniform shirt out in public. And what Peter is saying, and this is really important for exiles who are scattered abroad, Peter says that one thing that we need to know about being the flock of God is that when you are out in public, when, oh, when you're at home in your community, you represent the community of God. You are sheep in the flock of God. Shepherd, as you care for the flock of God at great cost to yourself. Sheep, as you submit yourself to your pastors at great cost to yourself. What you are doing is raising our flag. And our flag is not a flag of superiority or boastful arrogance. Our flag is not a flag of, of one temporary dominant coup who just overthrew another temporary dominant coup. The flag we fly is the flag of the Lamb. The lamb who laid down his life for his sheep. 
The Lamb who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Lamb who is also the chief shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures. Who leads us beside still waters. Who restores our soul. The Lamb who lowered himself into death so he could raise us up to life. If you want to rep this set, here's what you do. It says, clothe yourself with humility. If you find it difficult to submit to your pastors, clothe yourself with humility. If you find it difficult, pastors, to shepherd the sheep, clothe yourself with humility, with an attitude of submission. Because no matter how low someone says you are, you can always go lower to show them what real love looks like. You can always go lower to embody the love of the Lamb in the world, to show people who are looking on what a life of joy and a life of service looks like. You can always go lower to show God's love to the world. And when we do that, when we live with the reputation of humility instead of pride or service instead of superiority, we will find ourselves resting in the grace of a good God who shepherds our souls better than anyone else could. He said he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What Peter wants us to hear is that Shepherd, shepherd the flock of God, but do it with the humility that characterizes the flock of God. Do it as the sheep being led by the chief shepherd. Sheep, be shepherded. Submit yourselves to the pastors in your church, but do it with humility as being led by the chief shepherd who knows all of your needs. And when we do that, exiles will be brought home. And our present day experience will look more and more like the kingdom of God. Says, how do you live as the church in a hostile environment? Be the flock of God. Live your role. Do it with humility. Do it with grace. Do it with forgiveness in your heart and love in your hands. As you live in the flock of God. Family, we need to pray for one another. Pastors, keep praying for your sheep. Sheep, keep praying for your praying for your pastors. Everybody, let's keep asking Jesus to come back soon. He's a good shepherd. Amen. Why don't you bow your head with me? Let's pray. Our Father, I'm so grateful for Jesus, who's the chief shepherd who leads us beside the still waters. who promises to give us the Holy Spirit, give us streams of living water that come from within us. I pray for Christ Community Church that the pastors of Christ Community Church would be under shepherds to you, that we would lead in a way that reflects your leadership of your church. God, I'm humbled by this word. I pray for all of us, that we would live in humility of one another, submitting ourselves one to another. We make it a joy to submit to one another, a joy to lead one another. God, I pray you'd care for your church. I pray you'd care for your church. In the midst of a Society that is an increasingly burned by the church, increasingly unchurched. I pray that we would be a church that contradicts that. 
We'd be led by Jesus. Give ourselves to you. Love one another as you loved us. Help us do that for your glory in Jesus' name.